Audio media as a new discipline encompasses a range of established fields of research that can be placed relationally to allow for an interrogation and investigation of some of the processes that very directly shape and produce our experience of the world today. Geography, geology and media studies are all distinct subjects, yet through the new technologies of the last decades they become intertwined and interconnected. Alongside this, mediatization research investigates the interrelation between changes in media communication and sociocultural change. There are useful questions to ask, therefore, about technology and relationships of communication that range from the individual to community. Hello and welcome. My name is John Lynch, Associate Professor in Film and Media Studies at Karlstad University in Sweden. Today, I am talking to Sven Anders Johansson, Professor of Literary Studies at Mid-Sweden University and also a long-standing cultural columnist for one of the country's most popular evening newspapers, Aftonbladet. Andesh has published work on understanding the framing of climate change, activism and the media in his book The Cynical Condition, and the changing nature of love in contemporary society in his book Declarations of Love. Both of these are published in Swedish. In his writing, he often draws upon the work of the Frankfurt School and Theodore Adorno and other contemporary philosophers. I want to begin with thinking about the uh, geo in geomedia and to approach this idea of the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is this argument that we should recognise the beginning of a, a significant human impact on Earth geology and ecosystems, including global warming, whether this is due to industrialization or other factors, there's some debate about that. Now, we're all very aware of the, the real nature of climate change. So what is it that critical theory can add to this discussion? What role can aesthetics, philosophy or art play in this effort to develop more effective ways of surviving on this fragile planet? <laughs> That's a very big question, I think. Um, both because of the because the, the the concept of the Anthropocene is, is a question in itself, then the question of climate change is, is a very complicated one, and then critical theory is, is also a, a rather wide wide thing um, but to begin with the last in, in my my opinion critical theory which in my case is, is most boils down to Kirill Adorno which I would say is a, yeah maybe the most prominent figure of critical theory in the in the in the kind of original sense of, of the Frankfurt school and so on which I've worked quite a lot on. Uh, then I I would say that in Adorno you would you find in his work quite early already in the 30s he has this idea of a dialectic between nature and history, which he partly brings up from uh, Hegel and Lukacs, uh, and this this idea this kind of um, argument or dialectic is then developed throughout all of his work. Um, basically, it's it's quite complicated. It's, it's short, it's difficult to, to, to I, I, I won't do justice here, but, but, but the thing is in a way to Adorno, nature is not just out there for us to, 
to it, it would be naive to believe that nature or nature is the woods and the animals out there outside of the window as it's often treated we Adorno argues that we know we don't know what nature is really we don't have any access to nature any longer because we are so immersed in uh, in culture in history or what he calls then second nature which is basically a, a, a cultural product so we have lost contact with this nature and this this is part then of this dialectic between history and nature and Adorno argues this long before uh, climate change, of course, long before the concept of the Anthropocene. But I think when, when you read what he has to say about this, about the lost nature and how the anthropomorphism that kind of strikes back. Another way to put it is, is uh, which is a central part of his argument, uh, for example, in the dialectic of enlightenment, is that uh, the problem is that the... the um, how should I put it? The the mastery of nature, which is in a way what what modern progress is all from the beginning. Mankind liberates itself from the threats of nature by mastering it with reason and, and the technical development and so on. And today we can see the uh, very clearly. Of course, we've been able to do that in a long time, but we, we see clearly the the kind of backside to this development, this mastery, which also becomes we become slaves under this mastery in a way it strikes back and affects us and climate change is a perfect example of this and adorno was very aware of this although living long before climate change so there is a very sophisticated philosophical argument about this dialectic between history and nature and how we are to regard and understand them and this, I think, is quite uh, quite needed today if we are to understand what the Anthropocene really means. Of course, we can all uh, we can all uh, be uh, united in, in the fact that there is climate change and so on. That's that's not the thing here. That it's only okay. We have Donald Trump and some Australian president son who who would be deniers. But but we all know the facts. That's but what's needed, I, I, I think, is, at least from our, what can we do as critical theorists or as humanists or whatever? I think we can, we can bring a kind of more uh, complex or nuanced or, or uh, um, view on, on what, what nature actually is and what history is and how we have uh, come to this situation. And then, of course, what could possibly be done because what is to be done is of course in in one way it's easy we, we have to cut down on fossil uh, fuel and, and so on but it's also i think a much deeper question where we have to change our, the whole mindset on uh, what what the subject is what 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 uh, how we where the agency is in 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 this uh, development and so on, and where we've probably been too stuck on the in the idea that we, the, mankind, is are the only the sole agent here that are in control and so on, and and um, 
if we want to do that, to rethink those uh, very fundamental issues, I think critical theory is quite a good, uh, has, has a lot of uh, interesting stuff to say. So that's, yeah. That sounds quite a <clears throat> almost sort of religious idea of the fall of man. Is there a, the way that you phrase that? We, yeah. we, we don't have access to this prelapsarian realm anymore. Mm. Uh, Rousseau's idea of natural man and things. I mean, is that part of Adorno's thinking in that sense? Because there is this sense of something which is lost and then mm. moving forward. Mm. Yeah, it, it can. I, 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 I can see how it can sound like that, but... That's not really the case in in Adorno. It's just my deficit uh, presentation uh, because uh, that's not really a, a kind of a desire to to uh, turn back or or a sense of uh, that it was better before or so in Adorno. On the contrary, he always affirms uh, progress. He doesn't. He's not a denier of of, of uh, the existence of progress is that progress is real. It's just that progress is also always accompanied by a by a by a kind of constant catastrophe in a way. And the the tricky thing is that you can't you can't separate them. You can cannot. It's impossible to have only the good side and, and sort out the bad side. So it's part all from the beginning. Wherever you put that. Start. I mean, Adorno is not an historian. He's not really interested in the empirical question whether this started out with industrialization or or the uh, start of of um, um, what's the word the f- cultivating the earth or whatever. It, it's, it's very theoretical in that sense. But you know, in the dialectic of enlightenment, it starts with the example of of uh, uh, the Odyssey and and. Uh, and where you have this famous case where, where Odysseus is tied to the mast on his ship, and this is an example then where 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 the or the, the there he can spot the the dialectic of enlightenment and this kind of uh, the the dilemma of this mastery of nature and so on. So well, I'm losing track of your question, but to get back to that, it it's not really. That's not the solution to Adorno to, to have less uh, progress, less enlightenment. On the contrary, he says we need more, more reason, more, uh, more progress in a way. It's just that we also need a kind of thinking and reasoning which is uh, less uh, um, kind of um, more aware of itself being. Uh, always uh, not only reason but also a, a complex of reason and unreason reason and power um, reason and violence and so on so um, so we need a kind of and that's where why uh, art becomes very very important in his philosophy because in the in the sphere of art or aesthetics you have a different kind of, of Way of dealing with with nature and and, and so on, or nature in 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 quotes then in, in, in way because 
um, there you have a, a more material, mimetic uh, way of, of approaching that which, where the subject approaches that which is not subject in another way than in philosophical thinking or, well, not to speak of, of in the uh, industrial life or whatever that would be. Um, so, so art and aesthetics becomes very, very important because there you can maybe find another way of dealing with, with uh, existence that is less violent in a way. But maybe we can come back to that. But it, it's a long story. <laughs> See. Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of a quote from Nietzsche. He says, be true to the earth. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. we can usefully understand truth as, as an ethical process in that sense. Yeah. So what do we do to construct this new earth, as Deleuze might say? How do we act mm. without merely replicating the systems of thought that have produced the disaster in the first place how do we how do we break this cycle of mm. um of knowledge and power or control and mastery mm. um because as you say there's a this is driven by necessity the mm. the uh, uh the ability to not suffer starvation and hunger and perhaps you know to, to be completely wiped out is mm. is is overcome by cultivation and farming mm. and the, and then the storing of of food through periods of, of of shortage and things so and and for many that's the beginning of precisely the 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 negative impact Mm. on the on the natural world in that sense so i mean how are we going to move outside of that because for many people would say well things like genetic engineering of crops and the things like this is going to allow us to feed people far more effectively and this will then allow us to be more efficient but efficiency, of course, itself is precisely perhaps the kind of thing that Adorno would find difficult. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, I'm a literary scholar, so so uh, so I, I. It would be stupid to kind of dismiss those uh, new findings in uh, biology and and uh, and uh, farming or whatever. It, it probably that, that that is probably good good things uh, going on there I, but sure as you say that the the problem with a lot of those solutions is that they most of the time they seem to imply just a more advanced form of a continuation of this uh, mastery over nature uh, which was the uh, which what caused the problems that that uh, that uh, um, yeah, that, that brought us here to this situation. So then, the solution is, is kind of more of, of the the old uh, problematic logic in a way, and that's why I've, I I think there is reason to be a bit skeptical about this because uh, then it's just a continuation of more more economical progress, more technical solutions, and so on. 
maybe Adorno would be in favor of that. I'm, I'm not so sure, but there I think uh, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think another scholar that I've, I'm quite fond of that is also uh, very influenced by Adorno. I'm thinking about Timothy Morton, which I think is uh, is more interesting. Where he, he I don't know, he, he, I don't know if there is a solution, and I doubt that Morton thinks so too. But uh, in his dark ecology, in the end of the book, he turns to Adorno. And not then the idea of, uh, um, not a philosophy, the, the negative dialectics or dialectic of enlightenment, but instead exactly the aesthetics, because there he means you can find a different uh, comportment on behalf of the subject and, and the object, another way of approaching the world or whatever you, that which is not human, not uh, culture. and, and uh, a, a way of dealing with with existence that is kind of less violent and, and less sure of itself, more less self confident and a bit more open. Um, where where at, at the bottom of it, I think the what happens there in the aesthetics and what Morton brings up is that the the kind of border between subject and object, what's what's me and what's uh, the existence around me becomes blurred in a way. That's what happens in the aesthetic experience, according to Adorno, right? The, the subject is kind of weakened and it, it becomes, you end up in a situation where it's no longer clear what is me and what is uh, the surroundings in a way. Then you get out of the experience and, and you are turned back to yourself in a way. But, but that situation is quite interesting um, Morton says, as I understand him, and I, I agree, because there we can find maybe a model of another way of uh, of being in the world, so to speak. And that's why I think, uh, um, yeah, art is important. I don't know if, if you're you're asking for what 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 should be hoped for, what what can be done, is what's the solution. Maybe there is no solution. Maybe we have to. I think that sometimes I think it's needed to turn turn this question around. What what did we? I think there is a strange thing in in the modernity and the enlightenment where we we have it has been so successful. So we have reached a point where we even thought that we had conquered death itself that this would go on for we have created this perfect civilization and the Scandinavian welfare state and everything and this would go on for eternity and that's an extremely strange idea I would say of course there will be an end to all of to the universe to earth to western society and when that will be if it's in a thousand years or ten thousand years or five hundred I don't know but but uh, but the, the 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 shock that we can get out of this illusion that this is eternal I think this maybe there is something healthy to this shock even that we kind of um, see that our own um, vulnerability of, of what we have built up 
this is not forever. We cannot, of course, there will be an end to everything. We are historical beings. I think there's a there's there's a subtlety to the to to Adorno's um, sort of thinking around that that that's uh, easily missed, I suppose. I mean, for many, the problem with that formulation is that there's a such a sense of resignation mm. uh, in the face of these things. Um, what did someone say? You know, uh, Adorno has become resident in the Grand Hotel Abyss. Mm. Mm. You know, um, yeah, that was Lukash. And so, uh, but at the same time, I think it's it's a, it, there is something to the idea of working through um, our powerlessness in one sense, mm. which paradoxically is perhaps empowering if it if it yeah. if it initiates a reconfiguring of of the very way we approach mm. the subject. So I think that there is something there. Does that relate then to this idea of uh, you talk in, in, in one of your publications then about Adorno's notion of natural beauty mm. that there's which you describe and I'm quoting you here a memory of something lost and a promise of something yet to come, which has a sort of utopian mm. um, clearly a utopian element to it. What, what does yeah. this mean and how how I'm thinking now very much in terms of our highly mediatized world of Instagram, Netflix, social media. How do, you know, clearly even Adorno couldn't get back to his idea of, of nature. No. Today, I mean, nature, can we, see, can we even mm. think of nature outside of these, these prefabricated systems of... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's another difficult question. Uh, yeah, this... This uh, formulation is quite central, I think, with, with uh, a promise of something, a memory of something lost and a promise yet to come. This is kind of a, well, I wouldn't say the essence or core, but, but it's quite central to Adorno's idea of, of the, the artwork. And this is why art is important, because it contains something of this nature that we no longer have any access to know what it is and at the same time it points forward to the possibility that um, things could be different or can be different than they are this is it, it's not necessarily the end we could change the way society works and how we how we live and, and so on and the own kind of the to Adorno the the artwork is then a, a kind of a, um, an exclusive place where that possibility still uh, exists through this very yeah because part of a long tradition and, and this it's part he has this idea of the autonomy of the artwork which is easy to misunderstood as some kind of timeless. Uh, elitist transcendent thing raised above the all the, the, the our daily life that's not the thing at all the, the autonomy is is more a kind of product of the um, 
in a way the craft uh, that craft work done in every it could be a film today it could be even be an Instagram uh, photo or or whatever that has this autonomy because the autonomy is more uh, kind of that the artwork makes its own uh, questions it has its own premises that it that's the only uh, so there's an immanent logic to it that it's only that it's uh, the only thing that occupies it in a way, and that in that sense I think that yeah it it should be possible still today I think to if we're talking about TV series or, or uh, pop songs or, or whatever to to have this kind of to create a cultural product that contains this kind of strange moment of. Uh, of memory promise. Um, I'm not that into Instagram or, or so, but but without doubt in in, in film or or, or whatever uh, you can. Uh, it's just about, uh, of course, that the, the, there should be this this quality to to the work, and then you need the, the an interpreter, a reader, a reviewer who who makes the work of. of to, to see this and to to, to perceive the, this moment, uh, that's also an important role in Adorno's case of, of the, the interpreter or the critic or the, the which you could understand as experts like us, but also the kind of any reader or viewer has that role in a way potentially. So uh, yeah, I, in my. Um, if you go to stick with Adorno, he. He opens his his great one his principal work maybe aesthetic theory with a word that uh, it is I, I can't remember it exactly now but more or less saying that it is no longer evident that art not nothing about art is evident anymore not even that it exists so it, we have to take into account the possibility that art may be over it may be dead this possibility. But also, I think there is nothing in Adorno's theorizing over art that that uh, kind of uh, it, it's still possible to think that yeah, this goes on in new media and so on. You still can have this possibility of self-reflection through a certain material, and that material may be film or photos or, or pop songs or whatever. The, the important thing is there is this kind of imminent working. On, on a certain uh, um, uh, certain mimetic constellation going on in there, and uh, yeah, I think we can. That's still there, I think. I mean, that certainly reminds me, say, of the work of uh, Spock and his idea of these traces of the utopian in, in everyday. Mm. To be honest, Adorno is more known, shall we say, for his thesis on the culture industry I mean you mentioned mm. film and television mm. he seems to be very clear in those in that text which is a chapter in the dialectic of enlightenment and then later he I think in 63 1963 he publishes again a, a reflection on that and he essentially reinforces all the the central points which is that you know, uh, these cultural productions l- seem to lock us into a system of consumerism where consumerism has replaced consciousness, where actually film or television 
is devoid of real thinking or imagination. In that sense, it seems to be quite counterposed to the notion of the art object. Mm. Do you think that this has intensified today to the point of absolute negativity? Or are we, as perhaps Bernard Stiegler might say, being programmed now by the programming industries? Mm. Is there a danger of the complete incorporation of the subject in these systems which i think is what adorno was concerned with mm. and again I, there's 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 a, f- a phrase i remember from adorno where he talks about sort of exaggeration as necessary for thinking mm. in a way mm. so again um there's a way of reading the culture industry which mm. is just not literal but uh, you know flags up mm. dangers and and things like this yeah but I mean, if he was writing today, the culture industry, as as, as say as Stiegler would say, it's now the hyper-industrial. Yeah. Um, it's intensified. It's expanded. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I, th- I think this this you're right. This chapter on the culture industry is probably the the text by Adorno that is most read because, uh, and not not always. Or most of the time, maybe unfavorably, it's studied in was in cultural studies and all over by a lot of students. And I think often as an example of this elitist critique of of popular culture, which then can be criticized uh, and so on. And I can that's understandable. I think this this critique because uh, I think. As you, yeah, Adorno is normally always very dialectical in his text, and to in the to the extent that almost virtually almost every sentence can contradicts itself, or the one contradicted the sentence before, and so on. And all very nuanced. If you read aesthetic theory, it's a, it, it's a very nuanced work where it's hard to to make kind of a, a, a take. A, point out of it in a simple way the culture industry chapter i think is a bit more simple and a bit more yeah as you say exaggerated and not very nuanced so therefore it is not his best work i would say uh, but still i would defend it i th- I, th- I still think it's a great uh, analysis or critique of the culture industry i mean just think just just to coin that concept is i think more than most academics achieve in in one life and um they did this in the 40s um quite early then uh, from, uh, from the meeting with the american pop culture and so on but uh, or f- film culture and all this but and yeah you already uh, described the the idea shortly one could also say that they they describe how the culture industry is about individuality and producing individuality and and uh, the I- individual ideals the identities that we should buy into and so on so in a way basically saying but all this individuality is pseudo individuality it's it's just a a product of this industry so we think we are uh, our individuals when we buy certain clothes or have certain idols or whatever as and, and uh, it's not only a teenage thing it's it's, it's a kind of a, a mainstream thing and uh, 
Of course, it's a bit exaggerated, but I would say that it's at the same time quite uh, quite an accurate uh, critique. And uh, yeah, as you also indicated, I think this isn't this even more true today when when uh, with the internet above all and and maybe maybe also the the internet that uh, is sometimes described as internet 2.0 where you have this where the internet becomes the, the algorithms more actively giving me what I want and so on right so they are producing my desires and my my wishes and what I'm looking for and so on so I think that fits perfectly well with with what uh, Horkheimer Adorno is saying in this chapter although it's just gone a little bit further then of course you can say that uh, sure you, you can uh, there are uh, examples of products in the this from the culture industry that that still contains uh, this uh, this truth content or this promise and memory that we talked about earlier um, I, I, I don't want to deny that I think so, so this if you read the chapter you can have the impression that he has this kind of very strong dichotomy between art and culture industry but I think one has to see it as more more of a dialectic even there even though that is not that clear in this chapter but yeah I think they're they're writing that. I mean, they're they're immersed in that. The they're close to Hollywood. They mm. um, have been. I think was Adorno employed by the television industry or advertising or something to produce a report and evaluation of audience and things and. Yeah, well, um, yeah. He, all, he was one thing which was close. He, he was involved in this. Uh, psychological empirical project on the authoritarian personality where they was interview based project uh, which he was involved in beginning of the US stay um, so yeah that's one thing but yeah so as you say then um, what emerges uh, certainly by the 1970s then within something like cultural studies is a much more articulated sense of, a, of an active audience. Mm. Now you mentioned that mm. Adorno says, well, you have a, a, a critic who is, is mm. able to uh, expertly identify um, traces of, of truth and, and so on. But there was a whole shift within uh, thinking then at that time to this idea of the active audience in, in the sense that all audiences in diverse ways um, work on these uh, these productions and for those of us writing books on film and television we, we, there is a belief in the idea that it's at least possible for those who engage mm -hmm. with the best of these productions to begin to change habits to to think differently does the culture industry thesis reject this idea of a of an active audience or is it just something different because again this is where people would would um find grounds for um rejecting really the the, the, the thesis in that way mm. yeah i mean i would say that this is a chapter where they 
uh, for being Adorno in an unusually strong way makes an argument the whole uh, where, where the argument is this that the, the how individuality and how the the, the the public is kind of produced by by the industry uh, so it becomes a bit one-sided in the, in that respect uh, I, I'm I don't believe uh, because if you read above all aesthetic theory, it is quite becomes quite clear because there you have uh, the the receiving subject, so to speak, the subject that makes the ex- aesthetic experience is crucial, of course. So if it it would be, stu- of course, that is the case here too. I, I think the the point is only that. Uh, the subject, uh, the, the the culture industry, has very strong means in order to to, to form the the, uh, the the listeners and the viewers in that way, which makes this mainstream streaming of the public is uh, we cannot uh, deny we have we have to be aware of this. Then, on the other hand, sure, what, what you're saying and what the cultural studies in the 70s brought up, in a way, I, I think Adorno would uh, agree with that. Sure, there is a possibility on behalf of the listener to do what, not what they like with, with the product, but to do something with it. But then... Um, yeah, maybe one one shouldn't generalize too much, but I think there was a tendency in this cultural studies to kind of be denying, on the other hand, too much the the objective, uh, the, the role of the of the object, uh, and and that uh, yeah, the, the the structures that kind of pre uh, what's the word predispose or structure the the possible experiences or the listening or the viewing of of the of the, of the listeners, and then of course you could also draw in the, the, the more social factors and so on, the the, the, the circumstances outside of of, of of the subject to to be able to to have time for uh, for or money for any aesthetic ex- experiences at all too. But yeah, so in Adorno to defend him again, I always end up there is there's always. Even though there, there is, I admit, there is a bit of a lack of the dialectic in in this chapter, but but generally, I would say there's always this dialectic between the objective and the subjective. But then, yeah, there is a difference to cultural studies where the kind of you have a kind of pre, uh, pre in Adorno you have the preponderance of the object. In that sense, he's a Marxist, right? At the end of the day. We are structured by the objective circumstances, and the subject is a product of that. Even though there is also a possibility in the subject to kind of uh, to create a certain liberty to do something, but uh, in cultural studies, I think there is a tendency to to neglect the objective circumstances that let uh, limit us. I'd like to talk about your most recent book uh, which was published here in, in Sweden in Swedish uh, the title in English would be The Cynical Condition uh, which I've read in, in translation 
And what seems clear is that you have a particular problem with aspects of the media and what we might call celebrity culture in relation to the refugee crisis, the environment and so on. Can you explain firstly what it was you wanted to critique with this with this work? Hmm. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe now in retrospect I, I, I could, I suppose, answer that question, but in a, in the beginning I couldn't. I, I, the book was written more as a kind of a searching for... Uh, it started out almost as a diary where I kind of reflected on, on, on the situation and my, my own responses to it and my feelings and... and of ambivalence, uh, quite a lot of ambivalence in the book, I think. So it's a book who, which, um, which uh, doesn't really have a clear view to begin with. Then maybe it ends with certain critique, as you say, of, for example, of the celebrity celebrity culture and a certain uh, celebrity activism. I think you could say where it's the book starts in 2015 and uh, the so-called refugee crisis and 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 those days as uh, i think all swedes can remember a lot of celebrities stood up and and uh, argued in in favor of of receiving refugees and they they did something as they, uh, as you say they they paid for hotel nights and they went down to greece to to help refugees some example of a famous singer and so on and and they spoke on Twitter and, and wherever which in a way is, is easy to support and sympathize with the problem one problem of course here is that uh, it becomes very superficial all of this quite mediatized and when and the, the kind of as almost as if the the mediation, the media image becomes more important than the the facts itself and the, the suffering of the refugees. And then, then it, this implies that it became very superficial and when it's superficial it can easily turn around, which also I think happened uh, politically and, and also the opinion changed quite rapidly to the uh, when when we had suddenly we had a harsher uh, border control and so on Um, so then all all the those kind of uh, big words uh, and uh, kind of pathos on the on the social media and so on didn't mean much in the end and also but it also I think these these celebrities why do we need them? Why is there such a need for them in, in the newspapers and in TV and on social media? Well, I think they they give the impression that the individual is in power. Everyone, you and me, can do something because look here at Carola, she did something. And it only takes love and courage and then you can change things. So you... This means that we can stay in this individualist uh, liberalism. The whole system is there's nothing wrong with it. It works. We just need more generosity and to open our hearts and so on. While I would say that the problem here is not that people are not generous enough or so on. The problem is, of course, the 
well, at the basis, capitalism, colonialist structures, um, drought in Africa that forces people to to move away, um, board, the, board, the migration politics, and a lot of structural, very big problems that cannot be solved by more generosity on behalf of the individuals in Sweden. So, so the problem is kind of a... Uh, the solution is on the wrong level and it it even preserves the problematic situation i think through for this false uh, solution that and also creating kind of it becomes a very moralist discourse that uh, we are the good good hearted loving people we the celebrities and the people here in on Södermalm in Stockholm why we have the racists who who are criticizing us and so on and this is not only superficial, it's also quite dangerous, I think, because it, it, it doesn't address, it, it doesn't understand the problem and the, the roots of it. And it, it, I think it's part of why now we have a very polarized situation politically and, and society even falling apart in this sense between this kind of moralized analysis between the good ones and the evil ones even and which is uh, um, it's not enough as an analysis of the situation so this idea of of cynicism um, mm. which of course you talk in detail in the book and draw on long uh, philosophical traditions going back to the Greeks and things like this in this sense, then, is it that the because part of the book is also talking about the media itself, mm. not just celebrities, but in that sense, is the media a platform for cynicism? I'm thinking here of the way that Trump and other populists are able to enact a certain kind of performance. Or is it that the media itself, structurally and as an institution, is already itself cynical mm. and what gets communicated in many ways what what always has been the superiority of the west or liberal values of individual conscience is in, in do you understand is it is mm. it is it the 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 communication structures of mm. of of the media has this changed was it was mm. it is it different from before Mm. Certainly, we have those individuals, whether they're celebrities thinking they're doing something good or or others seeking to exploit feelings in one way or another. Mm. But we have a sense today of of the of the media positioning itself as very critical mm. of populism and things. Mm. But I wonder how much actually the role of the media itself has always been yeah. cynical. Yeah. My argument in this book, or part of what you're describing now, builds uh, quite a lot on Peter Sloterdijk, a German philosopher who wrote this big book in the 80s, uh, uh, Kritik der Cynischen Vernunft, Critique of Cynical Reason, where he, in his analysis then, the media is part of the problem, and that's already in the 80s then, so it's long before the internet, and, and and uh, so on so it, it's enough to he's talking about the TV for example and how the this kind of we all know this this uh, kind of uh, 
strange how, how you talk about it. 100 people dead in a bomb disaster and now the weather and, and so on. This kind of, which is part of the modern media, right? How, how we turn from from uh, tragedy to 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 uh, entertainment uh, without any problem. But so in a way, in, in that sense, you can, as you say, this is not something new. We've had this cynicism for a long time. But then on the other hand, I think what I described before, the celebrity culture and this celebrity as a kind of role model is not new either. But I do think that this has been more... Um, uh, this has become become stronger the last decades and I can't prove this but I think that social media and the internet is part of it uh, where and I, I think there are several reasons the, the kind of how newspapers are going down smartphones uh, people don't really and uh, we have more and more this kind of isolated uh, very individualistic narcissistic culture and how Trump is, of course, an exemplary case which where Twitter being his kind of a main means of communication and 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 uh, uh, then and media in a way there's a kind of strange symbiosis between Trump and the media who it might even the, the liberal media who who kind of through their angry reactions to, to Trump gives him exactly what he needs in a way so yeah there is a, a strange uh, uh, symbiotic uh, uh, development going on there which is uh, more and more stupid more and more um, about uh, feelings and resentment and stuff which is part of this cynicism and quite uh, in a way quite easy to point out but very difficult to get out of I think so, so the, I think the technical devices are quite important here uh, the phones and, and the, uh, the computers and the screens that we're tied to I think Adorno himself of course did a number of radio yeah. broadcasts yeah. Slotterdijk yeah. I think had his own TV mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. Yeah. in yeah. Germany yeah probably right and and you yourself you are a uh, both professor of literature and a journalist for Aftonbladet I mean mm. in that sense then mm. they are also yeah. possibilities again within yes. these yes yes uh, absolutely I think that's the way to if one asks the question what should we do then I don't think one, yeah, maybe one could even be on Twitter and, and do change and take part in the discourse there, even though it's limited. But yeah, take to, to do, to me at least, to write in a tabloid newspapers on the cultural section, of course I would, I, I could argue, yeah, there are better newspapers, but maybe, maybe it's, to me it's a quite... Uh, to be in one that is quite popular and broad and to be able to write stuff about uh, literature or debate is uh, is a way to to have try to have some kind of impact and reach out of my ivory tower so to speak um, but it, of course it's a double-edged sword uh, there is no clean innocent uh, 
possibilities here because I'm, I'm, I also get involved in, in this cynical apparatus. But I think we, we are, even though if we to kind of stay in, in, in the university office doesn't really help either. Um, but it's, it's because then you're, yeah, I'm, I'm still, what, what would our, all our education and teaching and studying and research be, be good for in that case? So, but it's a tricky situation, but you, I think you have to be aware of, uh, of the, uh, all the kind of the dialectic uh, all over that you're, of course, involved in, in everything we, we do and think and, and say. One of the targets, I think it's fair to say, mm. in the in the cynical condition, because as you say, it's very polemic, mm. uh, polemical, uh, and, and to to its credit, I think, and it it it's very good in um, in working through ideas. You know the the formation of of ideas, and you start with a feeling around something, and then seek to kind of explain it. But mm. again, it reminded me Adorno in his later life came into conflict with the in the nineteen sixties the young generation of activists, and he he railed against what he saw as the narcissistic spectacles of mm. sit-ins, love-ins, riots, and so on. Yeah. Um, indeed, as you discuss in the book, he offers the passionate defence of thinking against acting. Mm. That there is a need, he argues, to resist being persuaded into such activities, as I think you quote Slavoj Žižek saying, mm. um, as he describes them. Yeah. How relevant is this idea today, then, because much of what you um, focus on as problematic is, is the idea of doing something... And that in that sense, anything which is done is positive. But you're quite clear that it's actually something quite different. Different from... Um, different from being positive, that actually uh, this, this, this belief in mm, activity mm, as mm. essentially good, mm. uh, you seem to argue actually can reinforce many of the... Yeah, yeah I think th- this... I- this idea that we we have to do something which is a kind of activist idea is very strong today and uh, climate change is perhaps the most most obvious reason so it's understandable but if this this idea often implies that we can always do something always and everyone can always do something and of course I can it's quite easy to sign a petition on on uh, social on the internet or to go out and uh, and uh, even join a demonstration in, in on Sagel story in Stockholm but does that what are the consequences of that well maybe not much more than it makes me feel better. It helps creating my identity as a good guy who is concerned about climate or so on. And uh, I, I think that we have to. Uh, I think this is also part of the, uh, upholding this liberal individualist idea that we can do something. And I think one has to face that 
that's very hard to face today I think this idea that we are quite often powerless there are occasions when people and the individual can do something I think for example of, of the situation in Iran right now where it seems like yeah it is probably the case that people there can do something right now thinking the women in the street and with their smartphones f- f- filming themselves and so on that's quite interesting and probably we don't know how it will, how it will end but yeah there you have subjects in, in a specific historical situation where action is probably possible but here if we look at climate change I, I'm quite I think there is a tendency to exaggerate our uh, possibility of doing something just for the sake of that we cannot really f- face the, the the alternative that we can't do something and uh, so that's I would say partly what what Adorno uh, argues too that that this activism he says in in his essay on resignation in in 68 I think it was is is tolerated just because it it it's pointless it has no consequences and uh, so it it's becomes just a spectacle a performance which uh, may be fun or, or looks radical but that's exactly why why the according to Adorno's Marxist uh, argument then is tolerated by this capitalist uh, society otherwise it, it would not they would strike down on it immediately but then on the other hand as yeah maybe implied in your question that uh, I think there is in Adorno a, a lack of it should be um, because he he, re, he he then puts thinking against action and then says that thinking in itself is an, an action that should be defended but one could also argue then but isn't action the collective action also kind of thinking and I think that uh, Adorno doesn't really make that take that step and I in the ideal case in certain situations the the Iran example again I, I would or maybe one could make the same case with me too which also it's a very complicated issue but but I, it's hard to deny that me too had had uh, had consequences whatever one thinks about it it had some bad com- consequences but also some good some some strong effects on on uh, on uh, on patriarchal society and structures so there yeah in a way I, I think one one has to admit that and and with Adorno then one would have to acknowledge that here we have a kind of collective action, which also, which also contains a way, uh, um, in a way, uh, a way of thinking. Uh, so I, it, it's not. I think one also it would be stupid to just dismiss all activism as uh, just phony or so. It's just that one has to be more, more critical to it as well as one is critical towards thinking. There is bad thinking and good thinking, and I think there is activism that is quite phony or pseudo activism as Shishek would say pseudo actions but also uh, I'm, I'm the I'm, I'm fine with with uh, there are a lot of examples of activism that is uh, quite important sure 
yeah, I suppose that pseudo activism that, that Zizek talks about is, in one sense, the the role of the critic is also perhaps to try and identify, in, the, in precisely the way you talk about the the art object, mm. perhaps in terms of there are those moments. Um, one hopes there are those moments in whether it's in Iran at the moment or, or, or other places, other times. Um, mm. Um, but we often think about '68 precisely as one of those yeah. moments. So it's 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 strange to have Adorno in in kind of opposition to that. And I think yeah. it's, I think it's correct to to build in a certain kind of pessimism. Again, Giuseppe put it very well a, a couple of years ago. He said, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is probably another train coming mm. towards us. And mm. I think again, even in terms of art, it may connect with perhaps Beckett and his idea of failing and failing again and so on. And I think that uh, that's that's a good countenance to certain um, idealism, etc. Mm. But I want to move on. You've, you've also written um, quite extensively then in previous work around the idea of, of love mm. and um, how the different ways it is understood um, relate to ideas about subjectivity and being in the world. And I think it's probably the most powerful um, intersubjective concept mm. that we have in some ways. Mm. And you write at one point that the idea of romantic love is today in crisis. Mm. Why, why exactly is that? Um, why is it in crisis? because of the specific mediation of love today, I would say. Um, I mean, that's also, I think, it's necessary to be, again, uh, this is a very dialectical um, situation, I would say, because on one hand you could say that the romantic ideals is perhaps stronger than ever. If you look at, yeah, wherever in, in the kind of market on the internet or TV or films or books you have all over the place there is this it's about how should you to how should you find the right one and and to form a family the core happy core family with wife and and uh, husband and children and and, and uh, this is um, compared to well, even go back to '68. I think this was less naive in this sense than there was a certain broad uh, questioning of, of this ideology. Which, in, in that sense, I think a romantic ideal, the romantic ideology, to put it that way, is is stronger than ever. But the the sad thing is that the um, I think the the technical means, or to be more concrete, with today, I think the in the Western world, in Sweden, and probably all over Europe, the it has the the most common way to find to another partner is through dating sites or dating apps. Today, uh, I think there are some research who who uh, how, um, demonstrates this. It, it's become very common and so on. Most all of us, most of us know this, and uh, um, this is uh, so. When I'm when I'm saying that that my argument here, I wrote a book about this. Then then it's uh, quite a lot. Uh, or, or the these uh, 
technical means are quite important because they um, they change or one could even argue that love is nothing but this but the mediations of, of it uh, when 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 we turn in when the, the, if you look at the start of the romantic paradigm when when at the end of before the romantic love you had the well what's the english word for, for in, in the medieval times you have the courtly chivalry, chivalry love yeah um, all, all these changes when the changes to romantic love and so on they are it's always mediated through literature and songs and, and culture so i'm leaning here quite heavily on uh, the german sociologist Niklas Luhmann who in his, in his book uh, uh, Love as Passion um, makes the point that love is not the feeling love is a code or a medium which is then uh, served to, to the people, to the subjects through all the novels and stuff where we or pop songs or to the TV shows or, or influences or where, where we learn what love is so it's very it's crucial to understand what love is. We have to look at at uh, analyze those all those messages that we get all the time, and there there we learn how to feel and so on. But the, today the new stuff the last decades is is of course the dating sites, which to get back to that, which is very important. And uh, well, I think one has to be quite detailed here. Um, what happens when we in the 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 normal, the traditional romantic love situation, when you fall in love with someone, you have this idea of of uh, immediate love. You 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 see someone, and you you look at each other, and you feel something immediately, and then you get to know each other, and you fall in love, and so on. In the in the dating uh, net dating situation, you you you're in front of a screen, and you have thousands and thousands of of possible objects and you might end up with uh, with you're in the situation as a consumer where, where where you are to to make a kind of economical calculus which one should i sh- choose here how how can i make a bargain which one is uh, best for me and how much time should i spend here on, on choosing between those different that's one thing and the other thing is that the kind of if, if you you then chat with with this, this certain person you get in contact and then eventually in the best case you meet each other after a few weeks uh, so then the thing is that you have this time this uh, span in time and, and space where from your meeting over the screens until the uh, real life meeting uh, which is in the in the traditional uh, romantic love falling in love situation this occurs at one in one moment here you have first you meet on the screen and then in a delayed uh, time you, you meet in real life and then you have already created your image fantasizing about this other person so then when you finally meet there is this well, quite often I think, aha, that kind of disappointment. This was so. This was it, or at least there is. It's impossible. Well, the experience is mediated, which makes quite a lot of difference. 
what, I, what I'm saying now is, is building quite a lot on, on uh, sociologist Eva Illus, who has written uh, quite good analysis, I think, of net dating. Um, so her, her argument is that those change, changes, the, the thing is not only that we, because this is a quite common argument that you, you become an object, you have to make it, uh, sell yourself uh, an object on the market but also on the other side as a subject on, on the other side you you are also affected and changed by this mediation you become kind of you internalize this a, a kind of consumerist attitude she's arguing and also that's that this this whole economic attitude that gets uh, inherent in the romantic ideology changes it so that she's even uh, trying the uh, argument that well maybe we've entered into a kind of post-romantic uh, situation then uh, because this this changes what what uh, how we understand or how we act in those uh, well erotic dealings quite uh, substantially and i think that's uh, yeah, you say there's no love that's not mediated, and I suppose the the question there is we we might separate out, shall we say, the sort of the the, the technologies of introduction. Mm. Now that's perhaps through a computer, whereas before it perhaps was uh, um, uh, a tango class, whatever mm. it may be. Mm. But what you seem to be saying is that romantic love is essentially a novelistic, novelistic kind of love or poetic, mm. in the sense that 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 media defined it and people internalized those ideas then, whereas today now, the algorithmic and mm. economistic, mm. Uh, and and by economistic we mean the notion of kind of investment return, putting a value on something mm. um, status perhaps mm. um, yeah I mean of course you're right in a way that, that, that there was never a situation when when there was no medium then, so you could say that romantic love was novelistic or so uh, but uh, so in, in that in that sense the, the the change is maybe just the efficiency of the medium that the media today are so much faster and uh, showing us so much uh, th this whole market of possible uh, or we, we get the illusion that there is an endless amount of possible partners for us to choose from and so on but then so it's a matter of speed efficiency and, and, and so on but then again, I, I, I wonder if, if it's not that this mediation, changed mediation changes the thing itself to such an extent that it becomes something different. Might be, might be an exaggeration, but, but uh, and I suppose we don't know yet, but uh, um, it, it's, I think one... There is an interest. There's so many interests involved here, more than than before. I think than of the the phone companies, the the, 
the providers of the internet connection and so on that wants us to use, stay there by our devices and, and continue to swipe left or right or whatever and to believe in this uh, possibility and and all all those factors should be taken into account i think so so yeah well may, maybe to analyze this i think there's a lot it was easier before to kind of understand what the feeling what the falling in love was and how it worked it was yeah in a tango class as you said but still there's just there are two human beings and two bodies and and uh, gazes and, and uh, communication clothes and, and so on now there are also uh, as you say the algorithms uh, the, the the screens the electricity the, the there's a lot it's become uh, the, the the mediation has uh, has uh, changed substantially really but then, yeah, I suppose we, we do not know yet. There's, there's been a quite interesting discussion lately in Sweden on, on this. Uh, one person arguing that the men are losers on Tinder today and we have to, to un- understand them and have more. And, and, and then that creates, a, a, provokes a reaction from. from a, uh, people arguing against this that that uh, well it's a bit one-sided to, to just see the man as victim but I think to uh, I think to uh, the, the, the Twitter thing the medium itself should be there I think yeah, the media theorists have a, a kind of a role to play to, to point to the, the, the importance of the changed mediation of, of love really we're not as uh, it, it. It's again. I think we tend to believe that we are. Uh, I'm an individual who dis, who have the power over myself and my own decisions and feelings and and uh, thoughts and ideas and the choices I do in life and the partners I have and so on. And of course, it's this. If this is an illusion, it's maybe a necessary illusion. But we still have to. I think we are too, too liberal, too naive in this liberalism or individualism. Where, where yeah, well, I'm I'm structured and predisposed all the time by a lot of factors. Good. Well, thank you very much, Andesh, for uh, sharing uh, your work and ideas. Thank for you today. for your interesting questions. <laughs> thank you.